This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Father Brett Kroll. This is the last sermon in a series called Explore God, where we're asking some of the bigger questions of life and of faith. And the question for today is, can I know God personally? So if any of you have a two-year-old in your life right now, then uh, take my advice before too much time passes. Play hide-and-seek with that two-year-old. It's just one of the simple great pleasures in life to play hide-and-seek with two-year-old children. If you play hide-and-seek with a 10-year-old, it's all about the hiding, right? They, they want to be the last one found. But if you play hide-and-seek with a two-year-old, it's all about the finding. And as soon as you're done with the counting, and you step out and, and you say, ready or not, here I come, immediately you hear giggling and a rustling from wherever they are hiding in, in the home or the apartment. You walk into the bathroom, are they in the bathtub? And immediately, no, I'm over here. Are they under the table in the kitchen? No, I'm over here. I'm in the living room. You go into the living room, are they behind the couch? No, I'm behind the gold chair. And then you find them and squeals of delight. They're calling out to you, come and find me. God is much more like the two-year-old than the 10-year-old. He wants to be found and He's telling you where to look. So throughout the whole story of the Bible, and then particularly right here in the passage we're focusing on today, God is giving this promise. I will be found by you when you seek me with all your heart. So today we're going to talk about what it means to seek after God and what it means to seek after God with all of our heart, our whole heart. Now the context of this passage it's important to know. Jeremiah is a prophet, and he's writing to the people of Israel in the darkest chapter of Israel's history up to this point. The story, however, begins long time ago with a man named Abraham. Abraham is kind of like the George Washington of Israel, the father of, of the nation, except with this distinction, Abraham was literally the father of the whole nation. Together with his wife, Sarah, all the descendants, all the people of Israel came from Abraham. And Abraham lived actually in Babylon, interestingly enough, the place where the exiles were sent later on. But from Babylon, God speaks to him, and he, he calls him. Of all the peoples on the earth, he calls to Abraham, and he says, walk with me. Walk before me. Know me. Humbly walk before me and proclaim who I am everywhere you go. And as he's calling him into this very personal relationship, by the way, all of the significant moments in the story of the Bible, you'll notice that, yes, they're, they're for a people and they're, they're for the whole world, but they always come through a particular person. So here's God speaking to a particular person, Abraham. And he's giving him this promise. He's saying, it's through you I'm going to bless the whole world. And here's how you know. I'm going to first give you descendants. A nation will come from you. And then, secondly, the second part of that twofold promise, I'm going to give you a land where they will dwell forever. So the, the nation and the land, that's the twofold promise to Abraham. And the whole story of the Israel saga of the Old Testament is a drama basically related to that promise, and particularly the land. Are we in the land or are we out of the land? If we're in the land, are we governing and are we in control or is there someone else here that's dominating over us? And what we find is that throughout the story, the ups and downs, the drama is not so much, will God be faithful to Israel? But will Israel be faithful to God? Because at every point that they are, 
seeking after him with their whole heart, they're in the land. And their territory is expanding in their influence and their prosperity. And every time that they turn away from God and they serve other gods alongside of him or or they turn away from his rules, his laws, which were designed to show them how to live together in a just and loving society, when they would forsake these laws for other gods because they didn't fully trust him, or when they forsake those laws and commandments in order to seek their own advantage and oppress their neighbor, whenever that happened, then their territory would shrink. Other foreign powers would come in and dominate. And eventually, it gets to the point, at the point of the story where we are here, where God says, I I have to put you in time out. I have to send you far away. I actually have to remove you from the land. And it's going to feel like at that moment that I'm not being faithful to my promise. But I'm actually being faithful to my promise because what I'm doing is I'm giving you perspective to show you that you've been unfaithful in this relationship. And what I'm desiring is that faithfulness. And when those 70 years are completed, he says, you'll be brought back. Now, it's interesting to note that the reason Jeremiah is writing to the exiles. So Jeremiah himself is back in Jerusalem. The exiles, this is an early batch that have been taken away. Jerusalem is not yet destroyed. It will eventually be destroyed. But Jerusalem is not yet destroyed. And the exiles who are in Babylon are being surrounded by false prophets who are saying to them, don't unpack your bags. This will be a short trip. We'll be back in the land before you know it. Peace, peace. But Jeremiah is saying there is no peace. No, this is going to be 70 years. So sit tight. Settle down. Live your lives there in exile. But in the midst of this dark chapter in Israel's history, and even in the midst of this subtle rebukes or this kind of corrective, strong rebuke to the false prophets, the sit tight come these words of hope. Incredible words of hope unparalleled in in many of the scriptures. These are, for good reason, well-known to many Christians. I know the plans that I have for you, plans for good, not for evil. I know this promise that I've made that right now feels like I'm not keeping my end of the bargain. I'm actually keeping my end of the bargain by helping you keep your end of the bargain. And at the end of these 70 years, as sure as the sun rises, I will bring you back. And I will show you I've not forgotten that promise. These words of hope come in the darkest chapter in Israel's history. So it's interesting to note also that sometimes for you and me, exile can be a gift. That feeling of being far from God, it can be a time to reevaluate. It can be a time to say, where are my priorities? Is is something missing? Am I seeking God with my whole heart or am I seeking God with a divided heart? Am I seeking him alongside of other things or am I seeking him half-heartedly? That feeling of being far from God, it can be that time to reevaluate and reconnect. And the encouragement that the Bible gives us from the Psalms is that even in exile, the Lord is near. He is near to the brokenhearted. We're going to focus especially here on this promise from verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So what does it mean to seek after God? 
If God is like the two-year-old crying out, here I am, come find me, how do we go looking for him? Your experience of God is directly related to your pursuit of God. And it may not be the case for every one of you this morning. The reasons why we feel far from God are, are multi, multi and varied, but it may be the case for some of you that the reason you're feeling far from God is you are not actively, ardently pursuing him. And especially with Lent upon us, the Lord's invitation for you this morning is especially that with all your heart, with all that you have, sell everything you have and come and follow me, the Lord is saying to you. But where, how, where do we go looking for God? And the answer here, if you've been in church for any amount of time, is not all that new or surprising or shocking. It's the spiritual disciplines. To seek God in the daily practice of being in his word and in prayer. That is how we seek. That's where God is to be found. So even in verse 12, he's, he's looking forward and he's saying, Then you will call upon me, and you will come and pray to me, and I will hear you. And that phrase, call upon me, is, is another way to say pray. So it's redundant for a purpose, to emphasize, you will pray to me, and then you will pray to me, and I will hear and in our gospel reading, Jesus, in some of his last words to the disciples before he was crucified, he's saying in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. He's saying, I want you to have a relationship with me, but here's how you're going to do it, with my words. I want you to have a relationship with my words, my teachings. And of course, as Christians, we take this not only to mean the gospels, which are Jesus' words, but then the later letters of the New Testament that tell us about him. Jesus is saying, if you want to know me, if you want to have that personal connection with me, my words must live in you. And you must live in my words. You must abide in them. Then come and ask for whatever you need. Then come and pray. Talk to me about what you're discovering there in the word of God. Let's have a relationship around my words. That's how it works. And even that word abide could be also translated remain or sit tight expectantly. Like if you were to sit at a train station, if you remained at the train station long enough, eventually the train would come. And the idea of abide, abide with me, abide in my words, is if you hold on, if you continue in this, if you remain living in my words and my words in you, the train will come eventually. You will know me. You will grow and increase in your knowledge of God. That's a promise. Jesus is telling us this is how to do it. In verse 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, also you will abide in my love. And the word for word is the same as the word for commandments. So abide in the word of God, keep the commandments of God. And that word commandment has with it this, this understanding, this connotation of obedience, right? So not only are we coming to the Bible, but we're coming to the Bible with this posture. What are you saying to me that I may respond to you? What are you saying that I might obey, so that we're not just hearing the word, but we're becoming what the Bible says, doers of the word. That's important. 
It may be for others of you, you're sitting here and it's like, I've heard this before. Read your Bible and pray. Read your Bible and pray. Read your Bi- I've heard this before. I'm glad you've heard it before. It's really important. You're going to hear it again. But part of the reason why you might be feeling stale or, or disconnected with this call to be in the daily disciplines is that when you come to the Word, either you're not con- coming consistently or you're coming without this expectancy and without this openness and without this speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Here I am. Command me, I will obey. So we come to the word and we come in prayer with this openness and this responsiveness to God. It's the word of God and then it's talking to God about what we're discovering in the word of God. It's talking about what it's showing us about our own lives. That's how word and prayer work together. And a daily practice of the word of God and of prayer is what we need to seek after God. Uh, It's... Worth noting as well that even the fulfillment of this very promise from Jeremiah 29, right, the Lord is saying, a time is coming when you will seek me and you'll find me and I'll restore your fortunes. Well, that actually happened. Seventy years later, these exiles, and more likely their children, came back from Babylon, they came into Jerusalem, they came to rebuild the city and even to rebuild the temple, and what did they do? They sought after God in his word and in prayer. So if you want to read about this, there are books about this in the Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah. And Nehemiah chapters 8, 9, and 10 tells of this week-long festival. They They were practicing the festival or celebrating the festival of tabernacles. And what they did is they read aloud the law and they came together to study it and to respond in prayer. So it says they stood in their place for a quarter of the day. How would you like if, if, our, if our readings were, were a quarter of the day? That would be awesome. I'd love that. And then for a quarter of the day, they made confession and worshiped. So they're hearing the word of God, and then they're, they're responding to it. They're saying, this is saying what we should have done. That's not what we've done. So they're making a kind of prayer called confession. And then really neat thing happens after that. They rededicate themselves to that obedience. They say, this is the word of God. We did not obey, but now we're recommitting ourselves and not just us individually, although that was part of it, but together as a people, we are saying we rededicate. It was the word of God and it was prayer that sparked that revival under Nehemiah and Ezra. So we need to have a plan for reading the word of God and in prayer. And and my encouragement is, is that we keep it simple. Sometimes we get off track because we try to do too much. We, we set the bar too high. We don't make it, and then we just give up altogether, right? Same thing that happens with New Year's resolutions. Why, why do so many of them fail? Well, well we, we're too ambitious. Like, take me, for example. I'm a really ambitious guy, especially when it comes to physical exercise. Um, I haven't exercised in like eight years. So I said, <laughs> maybe for my New Year's resolution, I should do five minutes of calisthenics and maybe five minutes of stretching in the morning. I've done that two or maybe three times since New Year's, okay? (laughs) Way too ambitious. Just too ambitious. All right, please laugh. Please laugh. I'm exposing a, a, a weakness of mine. I'm not proud of it, but we have to do what is doable or else we get discouraged. 
have to have a simple plan. And if, if you don't know how to make a simple plan, then if you've come here today with somebody else, ask them to help you. If you know somebody who is maybe a little bit further along in the Christian life than you, ask them. If you have nobody to ask, come find a pastor, come find somebody who looks like they know what they're doing and say, help me have a plan to read the Bible. But keep it simple. A few other notes to keep us from being discouraged. Because again, it's when we discouraged, get discouraged that, that we give up in these disciplines. I want to say a word about endurance and patience. So in verse 10, back in Jeremiah, what does it say? 70 years. When 70 years are up, that's when the time of exile will be over. Now, 70 years in the Bible typically represents a lifespan. If you were lucky, you'd live 80. But 70 years meant a lifespan, and this is significant, and here's why. Oftentimes when we're coming to the spiritual disciplines or when we're looking for God, what we're looking for is this experience of consolation. Consolation means that, that warm sensation or, or that, that joy, that feeling of pleasure that I'm connecting with God, that I'm, I'm hearing him. This is what people are talking about. And, and those consolations are sweet to the soul. Psalm 94 says, When my cares are many, your consolations are sweet. So consolations have a place, but we can make an idol out of consolations. We're looking for a fix. We're looking for a very particular kind of experience. And as soon as we're no longer getting that from the Bible or from prayer, we give up and we move on and we look for it in something else. So this morning, it's well worth asking yourself, are you looking for consolation more than you're looking for God? And even more importantly, are you looking for consolation in other things besides God? That's a fast track to true exile, to truly being far away from Him. Be warned and be careful. And instead, it's helpful to remember that prayer is first and foremost not about what we're receiving from God, but it's actually what we're giving to Him. It's our gift to Him. It's our chance to say, I want to carve this time and spend it with you to tell you everything that's great about you, why I love following you, why you're worth following, why you're amazing, and who you are. Those prayers of praise and thanksgiving are especially pleasing to the heart of God. And of course, in that context, he invites us to ask for our needs and to tell us about ourselves and pour out our heart as well. Prayer is many, many things. Paul says, pray all kinds of prayers. But it is helpful if we come first and foremost. It's not about what I'm getting out of this, but what am I giving to God? What's my offering? So now back to that 70 years piece, the lifespan. Here's why this is significant. Because even if in your life, in your 70 years, you never experience any amazing consolation, any amazing revelation of God, or experience flooded of his love and warmth and all of that that is truly a gift when it comes. But if you never experience that in this life, when these 70 years are up, there's a promise for you and for anyone in the scriptures who believe in Jesus that the experience that we're seeking in those consolations, that knowledge of God that we're after, to know his love, the fullness of joy, all that we are seeking, it will be there in the life to come. The fullness of joy and the consolation of all consolations is yet to come. This ultimate consolation we could call the culmination. It's the culmination in Jesus himself. So as you see in verse 14, 
I will be found by you, and I will bring you back to this place where I sent you into exile. Well, this promise has a cosmic fulfillment because it has a cosmic dimension. Exile has a cosmic dimension. There, there was an exile of the people in, in, in Babylon, but that's just a picture showing us of the greater reality of the exile of every human being apart from God. From the moment Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden and from that intimate fellowship with him, from that moment forward, we've been in exile. And it wasn't until the Lord came looking for us. See, here's the real story. The real story is not actually about us looking for God. (laughs) The real story is that he's looking for you. As you're seeking after him, he's been seeking after you all along. And we're in exile apart from him, but in Jesus Christ, he comes to us and he says, I'm showing you the way home. And the promised land is more than a plot of ground in the Middle East, as important as that plot of ground is. The promised land is God himself. And he's saying, I'm coming to you in exile to bring you back from exile, and I'm bringing you to myself. I am the promise of all promises. This is the consolation of all consolations. And whatever we experience in glimpses in this life, what the Bible tells us is we will have in full when we see him face to face. This gives us the strength to endure. This gives us the strength to be patient. This helps us have a healthy perspective on our desire for consolation here and now. It helps us see that the spiritual life is stages, seasons, from one stage to the next, from one season to to another season. And maybe it's helpful for you to know, if you don't know this, that part of that journey is you will have times of dryness. There will be ups and there will be downs. That's part of the journey. It doesn't mean that you're stuck. It actually means that you're moving forward. Oftentimes when you're feeling far from God, it's because you're right on the cusp of breaking into a deeper place with the Lord. So persevere. Endure. Be patient. Keep at those daily disciplines of being in the word and seeking the Lord in prayer with an open heart. I will be found by you. He promises. And especially if you are seeking the Lord this morning, you're with us because you're an explore God, or you're maybe a new believer, then let me save you a lot of trouble down the road and just let you know up front, yes, there are ups and downs, peaks and valleys. And when you feel far from God, you are not but that feeling is very normal. So as we come to a special season in the life of the church, Lent begins this Wednesday. I just have a simple question for you. Are you pursuing God every day in his word and in prayer? And if the answer is no, What's one simple step? And again, keep it doable. But it's one simple step, one practice, one way of rearranging your life, rearranging your schedule, cutting out certain things, especially media. I'll just tell you this real quick. So my wife is a piano teacher. And one thing she hears all the time is, I don't have enough time to practice, right? And so finally, she just sat down and she said to one of her students, okay, let's walk through exactly what you do when you get home from school every day. So they just walk through day by day, week by week. And lo and behold, 
There was a lot of time spent on social media. There was a lot of time watching TV. There was a lot of time that was given over to other things. And that was really interesting for her to say, so there is time, you're just not choosing to spend it a particular way. So as we come up to Lent, even those of you who I I know are truly busy, truly busy, more than a seventh or eighth grade piano student, you're truly busy, yet the question is, where can I trim? Where can I get rid of those unnecessary things so that I can go to the one thing necessary? That's what the Lord is asking you this morning. How can I pursue God every day in the word of God and in prayer? Because here's our hope. If we seek, we shall find. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.